You're listening to Teach, Think, Treat, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This podcast is for healthcare professionals and students about teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting. Whilst our setting is a tertiary paediatric hospital, our experiences and challenges are shared by many professionals and students in other clinical environments. Hello, my name is Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as the tutor radiographer in the medical imaging department of the Royal Children's Hospital. Now, whether we like it or not, social media is a big part of everyone's life and the amount of content that we can find on there is staggering and there are literally billions of us using it. You have some people that don't post a lot of information and tend just to watch, whilst others post heaps, giving us an insight into their lives. But it doesn't always have to be that way. And when it comes to your professional life, particularly in healthcare, there's some big boundaries that you need to consider. And when you're new to the healthcare profession, but not new to social media, you need to know what these boundaries are. To talk more about this and to outline a few of these boundaries, I've been joined today by Dr. Lexi Frydenberg, who has quite the following on various social media platforms. Welcome. Thanks, Steve. Well, this is a very big topic, and I'm sure we could talk all day about this if we had the time. Let's start with why you do social media and what benefits you get from being on there and being so present. So I think for me, I'm on social media in my professional world for two reasons. One is to educate and help inspire and empower families along their health journey. Um, So I try and put good quality content out there on social media, as well as trying to share you know, the Kids Health Info podcast that I'm a part of and any other educational activities I'm a part of, I'm trying to increase the reach. So one reason is education and external facing with parents and families. But the other reason is professional contacts. So I try to connect with like-minded people and really find my tribe of other health professionals who are interested in similar areas of medicine or education that I am. And I use different social media platforms for different purposes. Right. Do you find that it helps much? Like, do you, do you get much back from putting that much effort into it? That's a really good question. So I think from an education point of view, I actually only started sort of in inverted commas playing in this space when we commenced having a Royal Children's Hospital Kids Health Information podcast. And we wanted to share those episodes with families, but we were very limited by what the hospital will allow us to do in terms of posting and legals, et cetera. So uh, that's why I wanted to really use my own social media profile to share more widely. And it's incredibly gratifying when you're at a coffee shop and people stop you and say, oh my gosh, I've been listening to your podcast or I've been learning so much on your social media posts. So I really, you know, you do get that feedback when you know people or when they know you, particularly patients as well. Yeah. Um, but also people do respond to you on the social media platform. So they might DM, direct message you um, after you've done an episode or put some really good information out there. And that's really, really gratifying. I think you asked um, whether I get a lot out of it. I do get a lot out of the connections with other professionals. Um, and, you know, I've had social media connections for, uh, you know, probably two, three years now. And, you know, recently for the first time, I met some of these people in person at a bar in Sydney for a conference. And it was incredible. We'd formed such a bond, but even, but then meeting them, it was 
you know, nice to meet them in person. Yeah, I've had some similar experiences as well where I've been following people on certain platforms and then you do meet them at a conference and they, they follow you as well and then all of a sudden you see each other in person. You're like, oh, hey, what do you think of this job? And Yeah, so, but you've already formed that connection yeah. through the social platforms. Yeah, so it kind of breaks down that ice-breaking barrier that you have to, to worry about when you first meet someone. Absolutely. You feel like you know them and you can get straight into the nitty-gritty. Yeah, absolutely. So let's be honest, we all probably use social media in some way, but not necessarily in a professional sense. So for those professionals who don't use it for work purposes, do you think they should? I think you have to work out what your purpose is because it is very time consuming and there are quite a lot of regulations for health professionals, doctors and allied health when you play in this space professionally. So you really have to have a reason to want to do it professionally. So if your reason is to educate or to share good quality information with families or or other professionals, then I think you've got to choose your platform and be really consistent in your messaging. I think if you want to use it to connect with other people professionally, you might choose LinkedIn or different platforms. If you've got a reason to be on social media, then definitely has a role. But if you're just going to sort of throw your hand in and try it and then pull away, it's quite a commitment. So I would say really think about it before you get involved. But once you're involved, choose your platform carefully. Okay. So let, let's go through some of these platforms because it can actually be quite overwhelming because there are a lot of them anyway. And to be honest, I have Twitter myself and I'm actually surprised sometimes when I ask other people if they're on Twitter, usually they're a lot younger than I am. And I say, hey, you on Twitter? They're like, no, I'm not. I'm like, they're on TikTok. Yeah, they're probably on TikTok. <laughs> I don't on. have TikTok. So. <laughs> I know. It, it is moving so fast. I know. So, you know, I've got teenagers myself yep. um, and they teach me most of what I know about social media, but they just laugh that I'm spending time on Insta or Facebook still. Like that's passe for them. <laughs> so it's really interesting. But yeah, I mean, Twitter's an interesting one. You said you're on Twitter. Yeah. Here I am asking you questions. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> what's, right. what's your purpose for being on Twitter? To be honest, I first started being on Twitter because I found out that there was an online journal club that you could do through uh, radiography that was worldwide. And so I joined specifically for that reason. And then it, that actually opened my world up to realize all of the other things that I could discover on Twitter from an educational perspective rather than from a social perspective. So now I pretty much use my Twitter account purely for a work or educational perspective. So for you to follow people and get information as well as sharing information? Correct. I do both of those. If I wanted to do something more personal, then I may go back to things like Facebook or, or Instagram yeah. or something like that. I think, I think Twitter has its place. I'm not um, a big fan of Twitter. I think it does take a lot of time to post regularly and get engagement. I think it's to try and share and find good quality information really quickly. It takes years for an article to be published in a journal these days, but you can get that information from around the world so rapidly. And I think we saw that with COVID. As soon as there were cases of COVID and people in ICU in Italy, we were finding out the next day what was going on through Twitter. So I think it definitely has its role, but as you said, Maybe in a professional sense, but if you want to do personal communication with people, it might be through a different platform. Yeah. Okay. So we have things, we've talked about things like Instagram. Um, so what would, what would you use Instagram for? So Insta's my favorite and I think it stems from 
I like taking photos and I like visuals. So that's why I started it, just to share photos with family and friends. But then I realized how you could share good quality information. So I use Instagram to increase the reach of any media or podcasts I do. But I also make some Insta tiles and education messages on Canva to try and help families understand, you know, it was World Allergy Week last week, so I put a tile out on hives. When there is Crazy Socks for Docs Day coming up, which is about mental health in doctors, I think it's really good to share those awareness days. So I'm using it for multiple purposes, but predominantly for professional reasons. Okay. Insta at the moment has stories, which are up the top, and they just come and last 24 hours and go, and reels, which are also like videos, and they're about to take over. But your tiles are what stay on your grid and they're there forever. Right. You can delete them, but, you know, most people can see them forever. So I post what's called evergreen content. So content that can be looked at forever and it's not just relevant to today or tomorrow on the tiles, on the on the grid. If there's an event coming up and I want to advertise it, I'll put it on the story. Right. Okay. So let's move to Facebook. Yeah, I think Facebook was the original and I was very reluctant to get involved in Facebook, but Facebook and Instagram are linked. So you can actually repurpose your content and not have to keep creating new content very easily for many of the platforms, particularly for Instagram and Facebook. So personally, I use Facebook the same way I use Instagram. I might just change the wording a bit, but it's to try and educate families and put good quality information out there. I don't spend a lot of time trawling and looking at other people's Facebook posts, yeah. but I do for you know, LinkedIn, which is more professional. Yeah. So let's move on, yeah, move on to LinkedIn. Up until probably a couple of years ago, I always considered LinkedIn to be much more set up for corporate business as opposed to healthcare, but I have seen it being used much more efficiently in terms of healthcare. And I've even heard some people say they only look at LinkedIn just to look for jobs. Yeah, I think it's really changing. And that's what we were saying with all these social media platforms. It's evolving so rapidly. You need a teenager to really work out how to keep up. So LinkedIn used to be corporate, but I would say very much now health professionals are starting to use it to find other people who are interested in the same areas. So say you're interested in medical education and health education, and so am I. We might follow each other in on LinkedIn and share good articles or, you know, good conferences coming up. I use LinkedIn for that purpose, but also for job opportunities. I think it is being used more widely now. Okay. Does TikTok have any space in a professional sense? There are definitely people using it. I don't personally use it. I think some of the team at Melbourne Uni have tried to use it to educate junior doctors because that's the space they're playing in. And I'm not sure what the uptake has been, but I think if TikTok stays popular, then there is a role for sharing information in the way people consume it. So if you're trying to get the message to teenagers, TikTok's probably the way to go at the moment. Mm -hmm. I'm tending to try and get my messages to parents and families. So that's why I haven't gone down the TikTok path. If you want your professional cohort to not know what your personal life is like or vice versa, Is that achievable with social media? Look, I think it is because you can have different handles. So you can be on Instagram and have two different accounts and one can be private. So you only let people in um, that you know, and one can be more public facing. 
you actually can separate them and share your family photos on one side and share your professional information. In reality, we know that nothing's foolproof and I would be very careful about what you post if it goes against your profession because I think you can be found out. Yeah. How do you continually publish so much content and where does it come from? It must be pretty stressful kind of continually having to come up with new stuff. For me, the content's not hard. I'm a general paediatrician and I work both in public and private and I do education. So essentially I can talk or teach about so many topics. Every time I see a patient and something interesting comes up, I might write, jot it down and go, oh, okay, my patient asked me that question about umbilical hernias. I should do a post on umbilical hernias. So content's not hard. It's actually creating, putting that content into a user-friendly way for me is more time consuming. So then making a post and putting it on Canva or doing a you know, Q&A session or doing a face-to-camera piece, all of that takes a lot of time. Right. So, yeah, there is an inordinate amount of content out there. You just have to work out who your audience is and what they want to know. I like the idea about getting it from your patients too because you often if a patient comes to you with a question, that means that they're speaking on behalf of every other patient. That Absolutely. Comes to you anyway, right? And at the school gate. So, you know, as a mum and paediatrician, I get texts most days asking me questions um, and at the school gate for pickup, I get lots of questions and then I just write them all down and that really helps inform what sort of posts I might do. As well as, as I mentioned, there are awareness days. So when it's World's Down Syndrome Day or Allergy Awareness Day, I think that's a good opportunity to share information as well. Yeah. It kind of leads me into my next question as well, given that you get asked by so many people about things that you've got to put content on. How do you find the time to put the content together? <laughs> Great question. I think, as I said, the content not so hard, the creation is hard. And I have, you know, tried to get my teenage kids to help me with that because it is time consuming. On different platforms, you can actually make tiles that you can use consistently over and over and just pull the information into them. But I think you need to put dedicated time into it. Posting in a rush is very dangerous because you might post misinformation or say something that you regret. And once it's out there, it's very hard to take back. Giving yourself dedicated time in a quiet environment if you want to do this, like we do with most other jobs, you know, for these two hours, I'm going to respond, engage and create social media posts like you would with the podcast. Set your boundaries and don't post in a rush. Yeah. Okay. Let's now, to to my third question, let's now flip it the other way and worry less about what content you're posting and worry more about what content you're looking at that other people are posting. How yeah. much of that do you actually do? How much do you actually look at? Too much. Um, <laughs> I would say, you know, it is addictive and these big companies have worked out how to keep us scrolling and scrolling. And I am battling that like most other adults and kids at the moment. Following people on your favorite platform, I think it's very hard to cross all platforms. If you were on TikTok, Insta, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter every day, you would have no time to do anything else. So I usually choose one platform for me, that's Insta, that I do check at night and follow people who I'm interested in their content or interested in their life. But I actually spend quite a bit of time unfollowing people. And I think, you know, you might think someone's interesting. But then if every day you just scroll past their feed, then you go, why am I actually following them? So 
I'm trying to contain my social media usage um, into certain times of the day. Almost like doing your own social media audits and things Absolutely. Like that and I think, out. you know, most of us need a break from it just to have some creative thinking time. Yeah, right. How do you decipher whether some content is real and whether some of it's fake? In health professions, I reckon we're pretty good at this because we've most of us have learned how to read journals and work out whether there's good evidence behind information. So if you're following people, they might be an influencer and have you know thousands upon thousands of, of people who like them, but you could tell pretty quickly whether their content is interesting or has any validity. I usually do a little bit of a due diligence on the people I follow. So I go and find out what their background is, what their training is, if I'm following their information. I think we're not bad at deciphering who's got, you know, good quality information that's useful, but you do get tricked and you do sort of sometimes take things at face value that, you know, in the real world, you might've looked a bit more into. Yeah. Okay. Every Sunday morning on my phone, I always get a message to tell me how much I've actually used my phone over or looked at it over the last week. And my goal is always to make sure that it says your screen time is down by however many percent from it is from the week before. That's so impressive. My, my t- top tip is to, uh, if, you, if you feel like you're using social media a lot, try to decrease that amount of time as much as you and can. And I think you're very game to actually look at that once a week because the cumulative hours, you know, would actually frighten me. I look at it at the end of every day and I get shocked with how much time I've been on the screen. I'm very rarely surprised at what I end up seeing though. So if, if it says, you, you know, your, your screen time was up by 15% from last week, I'm, I kind of think back and I'm like, yeah, actually it probably was. I probably was on the, on the phone a little bit longer. But you can actually also break it down and see what you've you can. used. And that's really good because if you've used it for work purposes or being on the phone for hours, it's yeah. very different than just scrolling through social media. Yeah, true. So when using social media, what, what are some of the things that we should be doing? As professionals, allied health professionals, medical professionals, nursing professionals, we have to understand both our professional and our legal obligations. And we have to play by the rules because you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. We'll talk a bit more about what those rules are after, but that would be my number one rule. I also, as I mentioned, I think it's important to plan and think about your posts and not do things in a rush. I think it's important to think about using different language for different platforms. So if you're talking to health professionals on LinkedIn who are going to then interview you for a job, you're going to use different language than you might on Twitter in, you know, one or two sentences. I think if you're talking to parents, such as I do on Instagram, it's going to be very different than if I'm talking to kids on TikTok. One of the tips I learned is repurpose your content. So you don't have to create different content for different platforms. It's also Really important to remember if as health professionals, we're using patients or patient stories, even if we're de-identifying it, you have to be really careful and obtain and document consent because that's where a lot of the issues come into play. I tend to use stock images or make my own children (laughs) um, be in a a video or in an image. You've just got to be really careful with patients because even though they might be happy now, in 10 years' time, that teenager might not be happy 
and you've got to pull out that consent. The same could think could be said for your children as well, though, couldn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. So. <laughs> I, I tend not to post them, really. But um, if they agree to make a video at the hospital for me, then I ask their permission if I can repost it on a social media platform as yep. well. Always remember... What you put on there is there indefinitely. And even though you might try and get rid of it, someone might have screenshotted it and might share it on a different platform and it's really, really hard. Retweeted, it's really hard to remove. So think before you post because once you go down the rabbit hole, it can be very dangerous professionally. Yeah, you hear of a lot of celebrities that, particularly in political circles as well, where they look at, Someone's found a post that they've done 10 years ago down the track. It might be just some some little comment that they said that could have had some sort of racial remark or something like that on there that all of a sudden now gets shone in the in the oh. media spotlight and you think, you know, this is something that happened 10 years ago when this person was 16 years old. Now they're 26 and all of a sudden this is happening. So. Absolutely. And I think you've got to think about it for the long haul. You might be a student in, you know, health professions and you might think it's okay to say something about the hospital you're working at. But in 10 years, when you're trying to get a job at that hospital and you've actually said something a bit aggressive or a bit derogatory about one of the staff, it'll come back to haunt you. Yeah, yeah. And what about the things that we shouldn't be doing? Try not to be personal about staff or other people you work with. Try not to put down the hospital or your place of work on social media. Try not to get too emotional. I know particularly why I don't like Twitter. It gets really, people get angry and they get emotional and they start fighting each other. I'm not sure that anyone's getting anything out of it. So I try not to engage in any banter. If there is something that's an offensive post or negative, say we did a podcast episode about vaping. We got quite a lot of negative comments because there is the tobacco industry. And we just didn't engage because once you start engaging, it's just too easy for us to get emotional about it and it's not the right forum. Just think, respect the people you're talking to and think if my director of my department saw this or heard this, would they be okay with it? And if you say yes, then it's probably okay. But if you think someone in your department or your hospital would see this and think differently of you, don't do it. Just stop yourself. Yeah. So there's definitely legalities around the use of social media for professionals. Can you just outline a few of what these might be? There is um, a health practitioner regulation national law. And so all health practitioners has to have to abide by that. And we can put a link in the show notes to that. Each health profession, so medicine, nursing, radiography, I'm sure, would have a code of conduct and it's an ethical and professional code of conduct and you do have to get familiar with that. So for medicine, it's the Medical Board of Australia and it's important to read that and it's a lot about what we talked about, about professionalism and how you relate to people, et cetera. Then there's also the advertising board. APRA has guidelines for advertising regulated health services and they also apply in social media as they do if you're trying to advertise which are not allowed to do, a private practice in medicine. Each hospital will have their own social media policy or code of conduct. So RCH has one. It's readily available on the internet. It's worth reading before you start playing in this space professionally. Yeah, absolutely. So if you do work at the Children's Hospital and you're listening to this, then become very familiar with the social media policy that the hospital has. Most other hospitals, if not all of them, will also have another one as well. So make sure you check out your organisation's media policy 
The APRA Code of Conduct surrounding the use of social media is available on their website, so you can have a look at that too. Now, it's probably going to state the obvious, but why? Why do we have such strict rules? As most of us who work here at the Royal Children's or in other health professions, the community do trust health professionals across the board. And I think it's important that we uphold that trust. I think we have a responsibility to to behave ethically. And I think when you engage in inappropriate use of social media, it actually can harm both patients, but it can also harm your profession, whatever that may be. That information that you post can be out there for many, many years. So I think it is important that health professions are regulated in their use of social media. Also from a patient or family point of view, you want to know that you're coming into hospital and what you say or do is a private interaction. And so, you know, a lot of people do get into trouble with breaches of confidentiality. So say you're making a video If you're making a video in the clinic and you've got the computer open and there's a patient's uh, medical file open with their name or date of birth or a photo, that's a breach of confidentiality. And for some people, they may see that as, you know, harmful to them. So you've got to be really careful with that. You know, I think we've got to be respectful of each other, of our colleagues, of our workplaces. I think we've really got to model that behavior. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about healthcare advertising on social media? You talked about advertising and and that there is some legalities around it. What are the boundaries around that? Particularly in the medical profession, you're not allowed to advertise yourself and you're not allowed to put testimonials out there for people. Whereas in America, that's just part and parcel of what they do. So you have to be very clear what you are and not allowed to do in terms of advertising a practice. Even more importantly, if you are playing in social media and have a lot of followers, Companies or people may approach you to promote their product and you have to be incredibly careful. There are codes of conduct and you've got to keep up to date with it because it's changing all the time. I can't promote a product that, you know, is a conflict of interest or so if someone approached me to promote a formula, I wouldn't do it because in my professional opinion, we promote our public health message is breastfeeding is best. So I think you've just got to be very, very careful if you are getting paid for advertising and you've got to look at the code and follow it religiously Yeah, and get legal advice. Yeah. Let's say one of our listeners wants to start using social media now for work purposes. Where do you suggest they start? I would love more um, health professionals and really people who have good quality information to be out there on social media because there are so many influencers with very little information that we want more what we call influential experts. So I would say give it a go, but start small. Choose your favourite platform. Work out what your purpose is. Choose who your audience is. Post once a week or twice a week to put a post out there. And then every few weeks, review your post and think, okay, is there a purpose to this? What's my audience looking like? And try and get some feedback. Then once you've chosen your favourite platform, you might expand to other platforms. But I think if you try and do all the platforms at once, you're going to burn out and and lose interest very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. A controversial question. Do you think it's ethical for an employer to Google or look through the social media of an applicant for a job? Or let's say, for example, you're about to have a student come out on clinical placement. Really good question. And I'm not even sure of the legalities, but I know everyone does it. So I would say that 
assume that whatever you've put out there on social media will be used in your next job interview, not necessarily in health professions, in any profession. I know job interview panels outside of the hospital system are sitting there with all their panellists having the interviewee's social media profile open. And so when there's a drunken picture with a friend, they do take it into account. Right. So be very careful. Any last minute tips for social media users? Enjoy it. Do it if it's fun. But, you know, if you're starting to go down the rabbit hole and you're not enjoying it, just pull back. Get a feel for it, but don't feel obliged. It should be meaningful and you've got to get something out of it as well. So if you're going to put in the time, you want to have a purpose. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're new to professional social media and you want to get started, please look at your organisation's social media policy and become familiar with the legal requirements. And if you're not on social media, the question really needs to be, well, why not? Thanks again. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for listening to Teach, Think, Treat, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Conversation with the Experts, where professionals from the Melbourne Children's Campus provide advice and insights, tips and tricks, and discuss latest research findings on a range of topics.